This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hey folks, Evan Gulak here. Before we get to your regularly scheduled obituary, I wanted to tell you about a hilarious fiction podcast. Josie's Lonely Hearts Club is a semi-improvised audio drama set in the studio of New Mexico's third best romantic advice call-in show. The show splits its time between antics in the radio station and a gradually unfolding story about our insightful host. I got a chance to listen to the first episode and found its easy charm and offbeat humor made it difficult to stop listening. You can tune in to Josie's Lonely Hearts Club anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow them on Instagram at Good Story Guild. All right, goofballs, back to Crestfall you go. Hey everyone, Evan Gulak here. It is with great joy and a glass of pink Moscato in hand that I say, Season 2 is funded. We met our goal in the first week of our campaign, and we are eternally grateful to everyone who helped make that happen. But wait, there's more. From now until April 2nd, you can still donate to our Indiegogo campaign and help us reach our stretch goals with exciting new rewards to unlock, like a live fanfiction reading, more specials, and a Bally Go Backward Boys album. Go to deathbydyingpod.com slash donate. That's deathbydyingpod.com slash donate. Before we begin, I want to thank all of the amazing fiction podcasts that helped spread the word. Our deepest gratitude to Alba Salix, Civilized, The Amelia Project, Greater Boston, Dungeons and Dragons, Facing Fate, We Fix Space Junk, The Orphans, Carlotta Botox, Harlem Queen, The Crit Show, Moonbase Theta Out, Visionaries, Dark Tome, The Cleansed, and Marsfall. Thank you all so much. Make sure to check these shows out. From poetic historical dramas to epic space adventures, the Fable and Folly Network has so many incredible shows. Now, what you are about to listen to is the never-before-heard pilot episode for Death by Dying. Gary died. I created this episode in a radio podcasting class at Columbia College, Chicago. At the time, we didn't know this absurd little story would turn into an entire show. I was recording my narration as the obituary writer in a small study room at the Chicago Public Library. We didn't know what the future held. All we knew was that a man named Gary Wickersham was dead. And only an obituary writer who thought he was a detective could solve the case. So without further ado... The pilot episode for Death by Dying. Gary died. Hello, I am the obituary writer of this lovely town of Crestfall, Idaho, and this is Death by Dying. (laughs) 
are gathered here today to mourn the life of Gary Wickersham. You already knew that, of course. That's why you're here at his funeral. Gary was like a... a star. The North Star guiding us in the darkness. The never-ending darkness of the whole existence of space and time, expanding at millions of miles per second into nothing. (coughs) Well, great. Let's, uh, get on with it then. Gary Wickersham, 47, was found dead last week face-first in a birdbath just outside of the dark woods, behind the Carlson and Carlson's Delicious Pastry Shop, where the Carlsons serve delicious pastries. It's springtime here in Crestfall, Idaho, late spring, almost summer, in that liminal space between seasons. The perfect time to die, if you ask me. The crocuses are blooming, the tulips, the daffodils, the ginger lilies. The cicadas are buzzing and the blue jays are flying and the air is thick, so thick you could drink it with a straw. It was a runner who first came across Gary. Ever notice how it's always runners who find dead bodies? Joggers tend to stick to pedestrian walkways where they can exchange pleasant greetings with early-to-rise neighbors or purchase a sprinkled donut if the fancy strikes them. Runners, on the other hand, cut through dumpster-laden back alleys and dart through remote wooded areas, so it's no surprise that every forensic show on television begins with a runner stumbling across some wayward soul who climbed into the wrong white van. In fact, if it weren't for runners, who knows how crimes would ever get solved. Not to say that this was a crime. All we know for sure is that at 5.13 a.m. Monday morning, Susan Colick, the local florist, was running through the dark woods when she came upon Gary's body, head dunked in the birdbath like he was bobbing for apples at the annual summer solstice festival. Gary's clothes were torn to shreds as though attacked viciously by a pair of scissors, which some people seem oddly happy about. His sense of fashion was notoriously appalling. Gone was the year-round Christmas tie, the blazer with shoulder pads fit for a football player. He will be missed, but not his apparel. In his back pocket was a note hastily scribbled on a napkin. It read, I'll be right back. Was this meant for something he was going to do while he was still alive? Or does this mean he will be returning with the second coming? We're not sure. We're not sure. I remember Gary. I met him when I was just starting out as an obituary writer. He wore a gray wool vest and a mustard yellow checkered shirt. His hair was trying to fight its way out from under a golfer's cap. His mustache curved upward slightly, like a bowl to catch food in. He kept to himself mostly, in the old colonial house at the edge of town, living off the enormous fortune his father left behind from some offshore account. His father is now deceased. His mother skipped town with a disturbingly handsome Albanian man, And Gary's brother, Elias, was unavailable for comment because he has been missing for several years. Anyone who knew anything about Gary at all knew that he spent the majority of his time on his vast collection of fake ducks. Crafting, whittling, polishing, purchasing. He drank his coffee without cream. He ate tomatoes like they were apples. Here is five seconds of his favorite song. And now, the condolences. The Carlsons send their condolences. They say, 
In the mood for something delicious? Look no further than Carlson and Carlson's Delicious Pastry Shop, where you'll find the most flaky, fluffy, buttery goodness baked into a baked good sent straight from the heavens. Believe us, angels literally work here. Thank you, Carlson family. We can only assume that was a metaphor. Condolences also brought to you by Lou's Sushi and Chinese Cuisine. Egg roll on down to Lou's, your low main spot for Chinese cuisine. We now deliver. We're sorry for your loss. We really appreciate those heartfelt consolations. It is clear Gary is in your thoughts and prayers, as in ours. On the day of the funeral, everyone wore black, except for Gary's Aunt Agatha, who accidentally wore a deceivingly dark shade of navy blue. It rained, but only slightly, like the suggestion of rain. It sort of hovered rather than falling. It was almost mist, except without the mystery. The pulpy remains of dead leaves that survived the hungry winter squished under the feet of mourners as they followed Gary's coffin to the dampened hole in the earth where he was meant to be buried, next to his father's grave. His father, when he was alive, found a certain excessive satisfaction in being right about the nature of things, which meant his affection towards his family came in peculiar ways. On his father's gravestone is an arrow pointing to the left where Gary would eventually end up, with an inscription etched into the stone that read, I told you this would happen. He died 18 years ago. Well, there you are, Gary. The cemetery is beautiful this time of year. Not sure what it looks like from underneath, but as far as I'm concerned, it looks lovely. The apple blossoms were budding, the deer wandered aimlessly among the gravestones, and bird droppings seemed to keep landing exclusively on Gary's coffin, so eventually people gave up on cleaning it up. The tweeting and chirping was nice, though. No one knew Gary, not particularly, not personally. So the whole town came, that this might be a chance to collect some good karma for the summer to come. But the longer the restless crowd stood amongst each other, the more they began to wonder. The coroner was missing, and Gary was being buried without a cause of death. How did Gary die? And why? One by one, they began to look to one another as if to say, What did you do? There was Wyatt Hudson, the seasoned farmer, who grows blue-stem grass near the abandoned silo. He always complained about the chemicals Gary sprayed on his lawn to keep it unnaturally green. There was Earl Jameson, the alcoholic academic, with straight, straight hair, dark-framed glasses, hook-nosed, so clean-shaven the wind didn't even notice it was moving past him. People recalled how just about a month ago he was preaching drunkenly to anyone who would listen at the Siren's Diner about dominant ideologies of bourgeois society and the hegemonic forces poisoning the proletariat and how it was wealthy families like the Wickershams who were controlling everyone's minds through capitalistic interpolation. There was Leroy Jones who kept coughing during every silence in the service. The Carlsons, who arrived in their 1980 Mercury Monarch, accompanied by three bodyguards. Perhaps a little overkill, but a man did just die in their birdbath. And of course, there was Susan Collick, the local florist. We get you're starting a new workout routine, Susan, but what were you really doing in the dark woods at 5.13 on a Monday morning? What were you really doing? The murmur of possibilities burst like tiny fireworks over the heads of everyone in the crowd. And it was just then that the slapper arrived. Everything went quiet. The rain hovered. 
The birds settled in the trees. The Slapper. Her job is to travel to funerals and mortuaries and make sure people are dead. You can't always tell, she would say. So the only sure way of telling is to poke them and slap them real hard. The relatives who had known these bodies for years didn't like to do this, so they would call her in. People have been buried alive before. At the funeral, they would say, My Uncle George sure looks alive for being so dead. And lo and behold, per Crestfall Idaho tradition, everyone held their breath as the pastor opened the coffin one last time. And the slapper raised her hand high into the air, and with a definitive smack, it was determined Gary Wickersham was definitely, totally, undeniably deceased. Sixty bucks, thank you very much. And the slapper disappeared from whence she came. Was this necessary? No. But people don't like uncertainty in this town. Much like your grandmother's delectable mixed berry muffins, the recipe that led to Gary's tragic, untimely end remained a mystery. But that didn't stop speculation and hearsay from spreading across town like a disease or an addiction or a catchy song. Gary Wickersham, I got one word for you. Drones. Drones killed Gary. I think it's part of this government conspiracy. Maybe he got on the wrong side of things and they just had to kill him so he wouldn't spill. Between you and I, I have reason to believe that Gary was involved with dark magic. Why do you think that? I mean, have you ever seen the man? He's like Keanu Reeves, he never ages. Well, uh, I didn't really know much about Gary. After all, he was one of them rich folk and uh, I've raised potatoes all my life. Uh, do know for certain he is dead, though. It's good to know that. See, I- I've had a theory that's been uh, ruminating in the backwashes of my mind, you know. I'm thinking that he was found in a bird bath. Maybe he had a-, a thing going on with the birds, you know, like, more than just friendly, if you know what I'm saying. I think maybe in sort of a heat of moment type of deal, he forgot to breathe, maybe passed out, fell down into the bird bath, and, you know, filled his lungs with water. I think maybe uh, it wasn't the birds and the bees, but it was the birds and Gary. So, like, Gary, like, he really had a drinking problem. Like, he physically didn't know how to swallow, and, like, that's really an issue to, like, living. Like, even I can swallow, and I can also walk and breathe at the same time. I mean, I can't blow bubbles with gum when I'm walking, but that's not really an issue because I could sit down and do that. But, like, breathing, that's an issue. So I'm mowing the lawn for Gary. He hires me to do such a thing, and I'm happy to, because mowing the lawn is one of the most American things one can possibly do. I'm mowing his lawn, air thick as soup. I see a bird run straight into his window pane, dead. I want to take a moment to say something now. Is that okay? Birds, that's never the answer. There's always help. There's always options. There's a light at the end of that tunnel, I promise. And Gary, great guy. Never met him. I'm pretty sure Gary was killed by an assassin. Aliens. It was definitely aliens. I think there was a second shooter. There was a first shooter? And a second. Makes you think. I'm assuming he got scared, tripped on a rock, hit his head, and died. It's the only logical thing that makes sense. I don't know why people are arguing about this. Occam's razor suggests that the simplest answer is most likely the truth. But Murphy's Law suggests eventually, given time, everything that could possibly happen can and will happen. So who knows? Who knows? Actually, 
There might be someone who knows. Gary's Aunt Agatha. After the funeral, the Cragmire cannon was fired, and the magnificent boom could be heard for miles. Crestfall existed long before Idaho, and during the Civil War, they desperately wanted to be a part of the action, despite being far from Confederate lines. After receiving several annoying request letters, a band of Texans was finally sent to humor them. The Crestfallens were led by Colonel Cornelius B. Cragmire, and the battle lasted roughly 19 seconds. Eager and overzealous, Cragmire lit the fuse of the cannon, only for the spark to die out just before it reached the chamber. When nothing happened, the valiant Cragmire peeked into the mouth of the cannon, and that's when the cannon went off, blowing his head into the next hemisphere. To this day, the Cragmire cannon is set off after someone dies, as a reminder of the randomly unfortunate planet we find ourselves on, drifting through the cold, dark, meaningless universe. The cannon fire still echoed through the potato fields as I met with Gary's Aunt Agatha at Gary's estate, where Aunt Agatha had been staying while she was in town. His things were already packed into boxes. We drank hot lemon water from chipped china cups. Aunt Agatha breathed in shallow, mucousy breaths, petting a taxidermy cat she had placed on her lap. As far as I was concerned, Aunt Agatha still thought he was alive. She resembled a vulture, her shoulders hunched, her neck craning out. Her voice echoed through the high ceilings. Her eyes never strayed from mine. Miss Wickersham, it's a pleasure to be able to speak with you. You can do more than that with me if you like. Speaking is fine for now. If you could just, if you could say a few words, it'd be great to hear something from a family member, someone who is truly close with him. Oh, you know, Gary. Gary and I go way back, I remember. We all lived together. The Wickersham's in a big estate, way out of the country. And I, I have this memory of Gary. As a boy, he'd be out there, his fat tummy spilling out over his jeans, and he'd be out there with the birds. He loved those birds, you know, the, the blue jays, the cardinals, the orioles and the cassowaries, flipperjits, the, the wingadings, all of the different winged creatures. Gary was a special child, Aunt Agatha explained. Lonely, but special. A certain magic to his imagination, a certain isolation to his character, which is why he was so often on his own talking aloud to the birds. The Wickersham family was outrageously large, 93 people at their peak. Living all together on the outrageously large estate in the middle of the vast countryside surrounding Crestfall. If someone were to scream, no one could hear it in our town. Just to give you an idea of distance, of course. Something puzzled me, however. So many people living together at one time, and yet now Gary lived in town, and the Wickersham family is spread across the country. At some point, they broke apart. If the Wickersham family all lived together for many years, what happened to everybody? Oh, you know, people drift apart. Family members get murdered, that sort of thing. Murdered? Hmm? Who said that? You said that family members were murdered. Eating burgers, I said. Delicious. Aunt Agatha was less than forthcoming. What was Gary's relationship like with his parents? If they gave birth to him... 
Should we be wearing our shirts for this interview? Because I'd feel much more comfortable without mine. Uh, I, I, Is that just me? Let's let's keep it for, formal for now. Let's keep it formal That's for fine. now. You know, I'm I'm curious to hear more about Gary's childhood. Childhood. That's a funny word, now, isn't it? Childhood it implies he was once a child, doesn't it? If if Gary wasn't a, a child, how would you describe him in his younger times? Uh, he was like a, like, a, like a human, but smaller. You know? Like a child. Like a child, yes. She dodged almost every question I had. That is, until I mentioned the name of Gary's brother, Elias. She paused, and for the first time, her eyes looked away from mine. She muttered something about Elias and his father, but I could hardly make out what she was saying. I understand if the memory is too painful for you, but... Would you mind uh, indulging me and in, in talking about what happened with Elias and Gary's father? Mm-hmm. Well, he killed him. It was the 12th of October. The, the Wickershams were out on the Wickersham picnic, which happens every year on the 12th of October, or used to, before the incident. We were amidst the cedar trees. The breeze was blowing as it usually does amidst cedar trees. The pot roast was being served. And then uh, Elias took a knife and stabbed it in his father's throat. Mm. Just like that? Well, you know, everything has a context. And what would the context be here? Forgive Mm. me if I'm not quite following. Oh, you know, well, a little bit of sibling rivalry, a little jealousy. So this was about Gary? Brothers fight, you know, they... They go back and forth, steal each other's toys, kill each other's fathers. Sort of thing happens. Jealousy over what? Jealousy over Gary's gift. Gary's gift? Oh, I told you about it already. He was talking to the birds. Gary thought he could speak to birds. Oh, no, the birds talked back. It was, they had lively conversations, mostly about the weather, occasionally politics. So you're suggesting... Gary genuinely could speak to birds. Of course he could. Why would he have spoken to them if they couldn't speak back? How did Gary get this gift? The Wickershams were an ancient folk. All I'll say is, you know, the the dinosaurs, they turned into birds, and, well, uh, the birds turned into Wickershams. The Wickershams are what you might call all the Nordic bird people. Obviously, I was skeptical. Without a doubt, I had my doubts, but I listened attentively to Aunt Agatha's depiction of the Wickersham family. The avian genetics manifested in different ways depending on the person. Some had wings, some had feathers for hair, and still others were unfortunate enough to have tiny beaks for a nose and mouth. Gary, however, Gary was the chosen one. He was born with the gift to communicate with birds, listen to what they had to say, and because of this he was able to control them. This meant he was celebrated by his family. This all, of course, according to Aunt Agatha. So because Gary could speak with birds, was he revered by his family? Oh, well, you know, he got a little bit of special treatment. Full inheritance of the Wickersham estate, that sort of thing. So Gary was going to inherit the entire family fortune. This struck me. I wondered aloud if Elias could possibly have had anything to do with Gary's death. Um, well, you know, I, I think, um, uh, well, uh, mm, 
I sound like a horse. I don't. I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, oh, Miss Wickersham. You are, boy. You are. I'm merely curious. Curiosity killed the obituary writer. I'm sorry. I should be going. I've diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, and to be completely frank, you're making me a little irritable. Would you mind if I asked you no, one? Sorry, if you Peter. just one last. Miss Miss Wickersham, where are you going? Aunt Agatha's chair toppled to the floor, her tea spilling onto the Parisian carpet, Mr. Whiskers sailing over my head and hitting the window with a thud. I followed Aunt Agatha as quickly as I could, but by the time I reached the front door, where she had left it swinging open, she was nowhere to be found. That is, until I looked up. There she was, completely shirtless, flying away with tiny wings where her shoulder blades should have been, trying to support her weight, carrying her off into the distance, into the gray, gray sky. Just then, I heard a noise from back inside the house. Footsteps. Footsteps leading up a creaking wooden staircase. I straightened my tasteful charcoal gray suit jacket and bolted up the stairs, trying to follow the sound. I saw feathers dragging across the floor for a brief moment before they disappeared around the corner. On the second floor was a long hallway, with other hallways branching off in every direction like a labyrinth. I turned this way and that, opening every door in a frenzy, but nothing. I noticed something strange, however. Running lengthwise down the hall, along the wall, were scratch marks, as though talons had been tearing at the tacky wallpaper. I followed the scratch marks, cautiously, one foot in front of the other. The last door on the right was ajar. At first, the room appeared empty, save for a bare lamp with a shattered light bulb, the tungsten filament still glowing slightly, like embers after a flame. The window was open, the lacy curtains on either side fluttering in a pre-storm breeze. But, in the corner, rocking back and forth in the fetal position, was a man, covered from head to toe in bedraggled, matted feathers. He had only three fingers per hand, thin and sharp like bird feet. He lifted his head as I entered the room to reveal a twisted face. At first I thought it was a trick of the light, but no, he had a beak. His eyes were beady and quivered in their sockets. His beak opened once or twice before he could bring himself to speak. Unfortunately, I did not have my recorder with me. I had left it on the coffee table where Aunt Agatha had been seated just a few minutes before. But I have a feeling that even if I did record what this man had said, you wouldn't want to hear it. Not in his voice. He was almost impossible to understand, his voice cracking and wheezing and squawking with every word. I will try my best to relay what he said to me. He was Elias, Gary's brother. After years of pent-up frustration and scaring away every therapist in town, Elias explained he had finally snapped. He had killed Gary, stabbed him with the very same knife he had killed their father with all those years ago. The stab wound must have been lost amongst all the scratches and torn clothing. I asked him about this. It looked as though Gary had been killed by a whole flock of birds. Elias nodded. There were birds. A swarm of a hundred at least. But they weren't there to kill Gary. They were there to save him. But they were too late. 
and by then the life had drained from Gary, and Elias had absconded into the dark woods. He had lived his entire life in the shadow of his little brother. His family adored Gary, gave him everything Elias rightfully deserved. Meanwhile, Elias remained rejected and dejected. People stayed away from him. He was the black sheep in his own home. Or should I say, the black bird. No, that's a horrible joke. He felt as though he could have had it all. He almost looked completely like a bird, and yet he was still unable to speak to birds. That gift went to Gary, and because of this, Elias was nothing but a dilapidated side character in his own life. No one could ignore him now. The Wickersham family would have to see him for what he truly was, the rightful and worthy heir to the estate. Elias raced to the window. I'll show them, he said in his raspy voice. I'll show them that this bird can soar. And with that, he jumped out the window high into the air before plummeting two stories down and splatting on the pavement. Apparently, this bird could not soar. Suddenly, there came the sound of a chorus of chirping, and a swarm of birds came into view, flittering over Elias' body, wrapping around him and lifting him off the ground, carrying him away. He may not have gotten the affection he always wanted when he was alive, but to be embraced by a flock of birds at the end of his life, even after everything he did, I'm sure that's the way he would have wanted to go. At a time like this, the only proper words that can be spoken are the words of Crestfall's very own Pastor Jeff. Here is his sermon on the day of Gary's funeral. He's gone. He flew away. Like a little flipper jip. But he left something behind, too. Do you have a junk drawer at home? I know I do. Filled with uh, toenail clippers, rubber bands, loaves of bread, discarded pens, canned peaches, the complete box set of all eight seasons of the hit television show Lost, hair scrunchies, twine, lefty scissors, 87 cents and change, mostly pennies, a couple dimes. Tickets to the carnival, dolphin puppets, pictures of your aunt, mayonnaise packets, your friend's mixtape, he claims to be straight fire. Our drawers don't start out full, no, they start out empty. Mm. As we move through our days, we fill them up with little bits and bots, accumulated over time, and then we leave them all behind for someone else to clean out. What is that? It's what I call legacy. What kind of legacy are you going to leave? What kind of junk drawer are you going to leave? Have you heard of Jesus? He had a legacy. Took a lot to clean out his junk drawer. (coughs) Legacy, indeed. As far as this town is concerned, the only legacy one needs to worry about is the one you need to hide. Your legacy of secrets. It's another beautiful day here in Crestfall, Idaho. The crocuses are blooming, the tulips, the daffodils, the ginger lilies. The perfect time to die. This has been an obituary of Gary Wickersham. This has been Death by Dying. Thank you for listening to my woeful tales. 
It is my duty, as the obituary writer of this lovely town, to document the unfortunate ends of our beloved neighbors. Today you have heard from the townsfolk Joshua Jordan, Annie Colick, Noah Baldwin, Chase Gerlich, Joanne Simirosti, Lauren Denby, Tad Dalianabru, and Alex Klein. Pastor Jeff and Aunt Agatha are, of course, real people, residents of Crestfall, Idaho. But if they were to be voiced by anyone, it would be none other than Joshua Jordan. I would also like to thank Mr. Jordan for consulting on this story. It takes a team to expose a cult family of old Nordic bird people, to be sure. Your continued interest in my obituary column gives me the will to live and not end up in the column myself. Thank you. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Congratulations. You've reached the Amelia Project. A new life awaits. If you're not serious about this, hang up. If you continue, there's no way back. Leave your message after the beep. Enter the offices of the Amelia Project and be ready for surprises, twists and turns. Follow the Amelia team as they help their clients fake their deaths and come back with new identities. Each episode is different. Each client coming to the death-faking agency has a unique story to tell. If death and disappearances, comedy and crime, mystery and magic sounds like your cup of... Coco, The Amelia Project is the podcast for you. Search for The Amelia Project wherever you find your podcasts. And remember... Leave your message after the beep.